I definitely want to be a morning person. Uh, studies have revealed that morning people, this is interesting, tend to be more persistent, self-directed, setting higher goals, they plan for their future, and have a better sense of well-being. So well done, all of you who are feeling smug right now. However, on the other hand, night owls, like myself, tend to um, perform better on measures of memory, processing, and cognitive ability, not saying the word, but doing it. Um, and even if that's done in the morning, tend to be more creative, although not always. Um, and often, definitely not if they're clergy, but tend to be wealthier. Um, but my friends and I, we came to a conclusion that we'd rather be morning people than evening with the prevailing idea that we'd get more done and we'd reach the goals that we'd set. And it got me thinking about how mostly we all want to become better versions of ourselves, which in turn means that not many of us are actually satisfied with who we are. And wanting to become a better version of ourselves seems innate to humanity. But let's face it, we are all works in progress. That's why we go to the gym, because we want to be better physical versions of ourselves. That's why we, um, we concentrate on things like our emotional health, because we want to be more peaceful versions of who we are. That's why we study, because we want to be intellectually better than we currently are. Um, we're all on a journey of becoming better and a journey of transformation. We all want to change and to become better than we currently are. So if we all want to become better versions of ourselves, how do we become better than we currently are? Well, you could try working really hard. You could try things like self-help. Um, I remember five years ago before Sarah and I got married, I decided, probably like many of us who are married, that I'm going to get really fit for my wedding. And so I decided to employ a personal trainer and to change my diet. This is a rundown of my diet at that time. Wake up protein shake. Breakfast, four to six eggs. Mid-morning snack of cream cheese and pineapple. Pre-workout -pro, pre protein shake. Workout. Post-workout protein shake. Then lunch. Half a chicken and salad. Then a mid-afternoon snack of banana and peanut butter. Then an evening meal, which is the other half of a chicken and a stir-fry veg. And then a pre-sleep calcium-based protein shake. I felt extremely heavy. I put on a stone within, a, uh, within one month. Um, and I had to work incredibly hard to stop all of that turning into fat. Um, so I decided to lose all the weight before the wedding because I actually couldn't get into any of my clothes. Um, and I think this is the problem, that no matter how hard we try, so often the means by which we try to get better often just feels too difficult. It feels too hard. It's too, it consumes too much of our money. Or, imagine this, that you get to the point of being better, I do that in inverted commas, it doesn't actually satisfy, and it doesn't actually feel as if we've solved any of our problems. Because we then have to self-maintain, because as I said, if not, muscle becomes fat. Our finances need to stay at the level that we've got them or get them higher. We aren't happy with backward steps in our career because we're used to the level of power, prestige, and status that we've got to. And it's all on us to do this. The issue is that when we do stuff in our own strength, we then have to use up our remaining strength just to maintain it. And this becoming better version of ourselves is simply exhausting. As I said, imagine that you finally get there and you get the business that you always wanted or the relationship that you crave or the body that you think you want. Does it satisfy? 
Well, the simple answer is no. There's loads of reasons that it doesn't satisfy, but mainly because of the thing that we're striving for, whether it's money, whether it's power, relationships, you name it, whatever that is for you, that they don't actually bring meaning. Um, have any of you had an experience like, um, I'd say I have, it's more Sarah, um, where you've had to, you think, I'm going to clean the bathroom. So you clean the bathroom, and then straight after that, you think, I better do the hallway. And then after you've done the hallway, you do the bedroom. And then after you've done the bedroom, you need to do the living room. And then when you're in the living room, you realize that there's a shelf that needs fixing. And then after that, you need to fix your wobbly TV stand. And then after you fix the wobbly TV stand, then you have to untangle all the wires behind the wobbly TV stand. And then you have to plug the wires back in, put them into the wall. And then you realize the person who did that beforehand, that there's holes in the wall, so you have to cover up those holes, then you have to paint them, then you realize you have to paint the whole wall, then you have to realize you have to paint the whole room, and then you have to do the whole flat. There's always more that you can do, and that we're never satisfied. So why is it so hard? God is very aware that we are not the finished article. God's desire for our lives is that we live life in fullness, and that we become the people that we were created to be. That we're created to be people that are peaceful, hopeful people who are satisfied with life. God knows that we're not the finished article, and he doesn't expect us to get there in our own strength. That's religion. There is a principle in the Bible that I would argue works across society, regardless of whether you believe in God or not. And the principle is this. You become like what you worship. Worship means to ascribe value or worth to someone or something, um, and you hold that in high esteem. The Hebrew word for worship is avoda or avoda, um, and it means or worship this to or work. And so for those who work or serve or worship money, it means that when we have money, we have this sense of feeling valuable and worthy. We get our value and our identity out of having money, but when we don't have money, the effect on our life is that we can often feel unworthy and of no value and sometimes even depressed. It's the same with relationships. If we worship relationships or a certain relationship, then all of our value and all of our worth is put on a person or a set of people. And life feels all great when we're getting the attention and the love that we need. Um, but as we all know, relationships aren't perfect because we're not perfect. So we feel loved and valued when it's going well, but when it's not going well, we essentially crash and we become worse versions of ourselves. We start to feel let down, we start to feel hurt by people, sometimes we feel resentment and often bitter. Same set of power and influence. Those of us who worship power and influence, on the way up, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's really cool. You get to meet powerful people, they get to help you on the next rung of the ladder. But the problem is, again, is that I mean, you look at the world leaders we've got right now. I'm not going to mention any names. But I don't think they'll ever be satisfied with the power that they've got. There's always more that they will want. When, they ascribe, when we ascribe our value and our self-worth to things like that, it's meaningless. And they don't actually fulfill us. And here is the point. That Jesus paid for us to have lives fully satisfied and to live those lives to the absolute fullest. We know instinctively, and he knows, that we won't live these lives to the fullest unless we worship him. Why? Well, because he's perfect. So let me tell you about this perfect God that we worship. The second half of, uh, there's a verse in 1 John 
chapter 4, verse 16, and it says, God is love, and those who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. So verse 16 starts with, God loves us. Then it says, God is love. Love, God's love for us is also his nature. So let me unpack that a little bit. Uh, a rock is a rock. It has no choice but to be a rock. Everything about it is rock-like in its nature. It is what it is, and it cannot be anything other than a rock. This is deep teaching. Um, God is love. It's not a choice. Everything about God is love-like in nature. And I'm sure many of you have prayed prayers like I have, which is, God, thank you for loving me. And I think it's really good to be grateful. But I can imagine God saying, that's okay, but I can't help it. God is love. He is the definition of love. He is the source of love. He cannot help but be love because love is who he is. So God is love and he loves us. Not a profound statement, but it is a profound reality should we choose to actually accept it. So what is love? Well, thankfully, in the book of 1 Corinthians, and at every wedding you've probably ever been to, there's a verse that defines what love is. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. I'm going to run out of fingers. Um, it is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. Love does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never fails. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstance. Now, God is pretty much indefinable. But for me, when I'm struggling to think about God, due to my own history, my own weakness, and my own stuff going on, in the light that God is love, I like to read the verse like this. God is patient and God is kind. God is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. God does not demand his own way. God is not irritable and keeps no records of being wronged. God does not rejoice in injustice, but God rejoices whenever the truth wins out. God never gives up. God never loses faith. God is always hopeful. And God endures with us through every circumstance. I mean, who wouldn't want to be more like that? Who wouldn't want to be more patient, kinder, uh, not getting jealous, not getting irritable, not harboring resentment towards other people? Uh, who doesn't want to love justice and grace more, never losing faith? And who doesn't want to be more hopeful? Here's the brilliant secret to Christianity. This is the best thing about following Jesus. We don't need to exhaust ourselves trying to become those things. All we need to do is worship the definition and the source of that love. And here's the takeaway from today. Because we, we become like what we worship. It reminds me of an ex-colleague um, who was a Buddhist. And she is amazing. She's incredibly kind, very thoughtful, very conscientious. Um, very open, an amazing person. And we'd have loads of chats about our faiths. And to be honest, on a lot of things, we kind of agreed. We agreed on this kind of, we want more peace, uh, to love our neighbor, to love ourselves, to love the planet. But she'd often say to me, the thing is, Chris, it's all on me. I've got to do all these things. And she was always like, I feel like you've got it easy. Because I would tell her that I don't have to do it all. It's by the grace of Jesus and not my own effort that I can have stuff like that. So why did God create us to be worshippers? 
Why did he create us to be beings that had to worship something? Because I think we all worship something. 1 John tells us that God is looking for worshippers. It doesn't say he's looking for worship. Why is that important? Because everything that we've just heard, every decision, every thought God has ever had, every plan, everything is 100% motivated from and derived by his nature of love. The call for us to be worshippers is motivated by God's love for us. So if he chooses for you to be a worshipper, then there must be a good effect that this has on your life. I mean, I don't like the idea of uh, worshipping to get something. We can't manipulate God through praise. Worship is not a means to an end, but it is actually an end in itself. So what's the point? The point is that we always become whatever we worship. And as a father who loves me, there is nothing Father God could want better for me than to become like him. To become the person I was always meant to be and designed in his image. And love always chooses the best. And the best for me is that I become like him. Also, God is not an egotist. He doesn't need our worship to make himself feel good. He doesn't have a short memory. He's not needy and he's not insecure. Because God is looking for worshippers, not worship. Now, just to clarify as well, worship is a, it's a whole life thing. It's not just music. Now, we and most churches name different parts of our services. This is the welcome. This is the, this is the preach or the word. And this is the time of sung worship. But worship is more than music. Now, worship can be used as a platform for worship. And historically, we are the singing faith. And Christians and, and Jews before us have been singing songs to God for thousands of years. I am personally extremely thankful for the, for the music that we have here. I'm thankful for Danny and the teams that serve us and God so well every Sunday. But worship is a whole lot more than just a song. Worship is a lifestyle. And that worship can be singing. It can be dancing. It could be in helping and serving those in need. It could be in conversing. It could be in declaring God's goodness. And it can even be in preaching. So this, even for me, is my act of worship to God. And although it isn't just about singing songs, there is an element of singing songs which is incredibly important. So I'm just going to let you behind the curtain a bit about um, why and how we do song worship here. We often start off with objective songs about God, about what he's done for us. And I think for us, when we sing about the character attributes of God, we sang this morning about um, God being a good father. And so when we sing about things like he's a good father, he's faithful, he's kind, he's good, all this kind of stuff, um, it makes us aware of what we are not. And when we sing these songs and we become aware that we're not always faithful, are we? We're not always kind. We're not always patient. We're not always loving all the time. At this moment and at this realization, the, the, the next movement is to focus on the cross and what that means for us. Because the beauty of the cross is that God doesn't expect us in our own strength to become perfect like him. It's not about what we do, it's about what he's done. He gave us Jesus 
so that he could become all the things that we are not on our behalf. And he suffered the consequences of our fallenness. He did this so that we can be fully free and forgiven in order to be able to be in a relationship with God who's a father and who loves us. And in that relationship, then God sees us as Jesus. He sees us as blemish-free, as pure, as beautiful, and as perfect. And in that moment, that leaves us open to actually be aware of and receive the loving presence of God, which allows us to then be transformed by the Spirit of God, which is the only way we can actually have everlasting transformation and change. It is the Spirit of God in us as we worship that transforms us into the people we were created to be and the people that we actually want to be. That's why none of the other things, money, relationships, power, that sort of stuff, none of that can ever truly satisfy us. There's a great verse in 2 Corinthians 3.18 where the Apostle Paul says that we are being transformed from glory to glory. The suggestion is, is that we are becoming better and better versions of ourselves. So as I said, how do we do that? The only way is through the Spirit. So how do we experience the presence of God? I think you've got it by now. It's quite easy. We come to him and worship. Psalm 22.3 says that God inhabits the praises of his people. God is attracted to our praises. And when we worship, there is a new level, um, a new manifestation of, his, of him in the room, of his presence. I've always like, kind of struggled with this kind of concept of like, if God's with me, then why do I need to invite him and that sort of stuff? And I think God is always with us, but we're just not always aware that he's with us. So worship helps us to turn to him. It helps us turn from our eyes on our own self and our own lives. And it helps us to look up at him and realize who he is. The best theology in terms of worship songs is arguably there's a song that says, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. So we acknowledge that he's welcome here. Let us become more aware of your presence. The presence is here. We're just often not aware of it because we're distracted and we're thinking of other stuff. So often we need God's help to make us aware of his presence. I like to start my day with a very strong coffee. As I said, I'm not a morning person, so I normally need two. And I like to spend time every morning to spend it with Jesus. Some days, these are very uh, few, but my mind is still and it's calm. And then there's other days when I struggle to focus. And I'm thinking about essays, I'm thinking about preaching, I'm thinking about lunch, I'm thinking about people that I haven't texted back. I'm thinking about another dose of caffeine, I'm thinking about my dinner, I'm thinking about alphabetizing my books. You know, like you get really easy distracted when you come to spend time with God. And then I feel really bad about that. And I'm like, oh God, I'm really sorry that I can't focus on you. And then I try really, really hard to focus on him. But I often don't, still don't feel very connected because I'm still trying to do it in my own strength. So what works for me, and it will be different for different people, but I just want to sh- explain what I do. For me, what works is I like to put on some worship music in the background. And I find that when I turn my attention and my affection to God, that actually... I can hear him and I can feel him being closer because all those distractions go away when I can try and focus on him. When my eyes are turned towards Jesus and when my words declare his greatness, something seems to internally shift within me. Now there is no formula because God doesn't want us addicted to a formula. He wants us addicted to his voice. 
And sometimes that voice seems quite loud and obvious, and sometimes it can just feel like a whisper. Does he whisper to be mean? What happens when someone whispers to you? You lean in closer. And you only really whisper to your friends. So sometimes if you feel like, I can't hear God, I feel like he's whispering, know that he's counting you as a friend and he's inviting you in closer to him to hear his voice, to hear how much he loves you and what he has for you. When we come to God in worship, we, we can often transition through prayer and thanksgiving and then onto Jesus on the cross and the cross which washes away all of our sinfulness and it opens up a way to intimacy with God. And it's then that we can be changed by his spirit. So I'm going to wrap this up soon. Here's what I want us to do today. I want us to take one step forward. If you find yourself kind of caught up in the objective part of worship, you're, kind of, you're good with like saying God is good and he's faithful and all those character attributes of God. Can I ask you to take one step forward internally and think about yourself in the light of Jesus and who he is and potentially who we're not. And this isn't to make us feel guilty or shame. The cross took away all guilt and shame. But it's to help us actually put our eyes on who is the person that we're worshipping and who is the person that we can be transformed into being. If you've got those down and you're good with the kind of like the grace and the mercy thing and you're either enjoying the forgiveness or potentially it makes you feel a bit because it feels like, well, God's all these things and I'm not then I encourage you to go into the next stage, which is like a moment we like to think of as intimacy with God. And for some people, this feels quite strange. Um, but it's where we start to really express our love for God. Sometimes I think we can receive his love and we can talk about his love for us. But actually, there's a, there's a stumbling moment or there's a blockage where we get stuck in, in declaring our love for God. For some, these songs can sometimes feel irreverent and wrong, but I think when we really understand what Jesus has done for us, we can start to feel that love for him. And this can find its expression through song or through dance or through other forms of worship. When we're able to do this, we come, when we've kind of gone through that stage and we can start to sing to Jesus, we're almost at this kind of last bit which feels like I'm, I'm all in now. Like I'm all in. Those songs of like, you know, hands held high, heart abandoned. I personally, when I used to hear those songs, I want to keep my hands down because I don't want to be manipulated. But like actually, there is something about going, do you know what, God, regardless of my own feelings right now and my own stuff, I'm going to be all in because you are God and you are good and I know you love me. And when we declare that we're all in and our hearts are abandoned to Jesus, our King, then stuff starts to move, for me anyway. And the truth is, is I don't think many of us can get to that stage straight away. I don't, some people can get there straight away on their first song, but I don't think many of us can. Um, and especially, I think, for those of you who are parents and you, you really you know, struggle to get the kids out of the door and into the car, and there's a lot of effort to get into church sometimes. So you almost need, and I'm quite stupid, like I need to remind myself why I love Jesus. I'm like, oh yeah, like it has been busy this morning, but he is good and he does hear me and he does love me. And I think that that's okay. That's why I think that, you know, it's good to acknowledge that we are at different stages and that all these things are a journey. Um, now, some people are going to say, and I completely agree, it isn't about a formula. And as I said before, it's about listening to his voice, not being obsessed with form. But this structure helps some of us to actually go forward on this journey. 
Um, and we won't, I'm not going to talk about it now because I actually want to leave some time to worship. That's why we've shifted the service a bit more this morning. But it's based on Psalm 100, um, which you can look up in your own time. And also on New Testament temple theology. There's a lot of this sort of stuff in Scripture. Um, as I said, I'm not going to cover it now. But the whole purpose and the whole reason that we come to worship is so that we can encounter God for real. So I reckon we give it a go. So if you would, if you could stand, if you're able to stand, Danny and the team are going to take the stage again. Jesus, we thank you that your number one priority is to be with us. You did everything that could ever be done so that we could be in a relationship with you, in a relationship where life isn't all on me. Actually, I get to do this in a loving partnership with you, and you get to help us. Let's just take a moment. If you, as I said before, if you feel like sometimes you kind of get stuck in worship, take a moment to say, God, can you help me move forward? God, I want more of you, and... Sometimes we can feel stuck. Or will you help me to move forward?